Hello. <laughs> Hope you're all doing all right. Um, I'm going to read the Bible reading straight away, mainly so I don't forget. Um, so we're going to look at Hebrews 4:14 4, to 5:6. Uh, so if you want to look in your um, Bibles or on your phones, but if you look on your phones, you have to have the Bible reading. You can't be just searching the internet or playing games, because I never know what people are doing. So if you're going to get your phone out, Bible, okay? Okay, Hebrews 4, 14 to 5, 6. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So there you go. So I'm going to focus mainly, um, in fact, in, exclusively actually, on the, on the first three verses. So if you want to find out about Melchizedek, that's an interesting Bible study. So do go away and work out what on earth the last few verses were about. But I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'm going to focus just on those first three. Like the Hebrew Christians who first received this letter, we can experience temptation and suffering, perhaps even persecution. And these verses, verses uh, 14 to 16, have a great deal to say to people who are struggling. And perhaps that's you, perhaps that's you this evening. But for all of us, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever we're not doing or experiencing, hopefully we can see that these verses provide us with hope, as well as a window through which we can see right into the heart of Christ. And we can see his sympathetic love towards each one of us. That's what we're going to be doing. So we're carrying on a series, The Heart of Christ Towards Us, and looking at Christ's heart as sympathetic, his sympathetic heart towards us. So verse 14, I'm going to repeat it. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. So we're exhorted, not exhausted, we might be that as well, but we're exhorted to hold on to our faith in God through Jesus, no matter what's going on. We might be suffering hardship. There might be persecution, as there could have been for those Hebrew Christians who read this letter. But when we're struggling, when we're tempted and suffering, we should resolve to hold on to what we've believed and what we know to be true about Jesus. Whatever we go through, whatever unanswered questions we have, whatever seemingly unanswered prayer requests we've made, the writer to the Hebrews says that we need to hold on, hold fast to our confession. What is our confession? Well, 
that Jesus is Lord. We've been singing it, that God is good, that God is a good father, that he loves us, that he knows us, that he cares about us, that he's not forgotten us. No matter what we might go through in this world, God is with us, God is for us. Sometimes we can struggle because there's this sort of insidious kind of concept that that we don't find in the Bible, but we've got it from somewhere. And that concept is that if we pray enough and attend church and do good things and love God, we'll somehow get out of this world without having gone through anything really hard. And then we're really confused when annoying things happen. But we have to remember that's, that's not in the Bible. So Jesus even said to his disciples, do you remember? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So if nothing else, why don't you, this is really important if you think like, wow, actually I'm one of those people. Somewhere in me I believe that I shouldn't have to go through anything, and then when I do I get angry at God and confused. We can hold it against God and get offended at him when stuff happens. But he's already told us that stuff will happen. Stuff will happen. And when stuff happens, the writer to the Hebrews says, nevertheless, hold fast to your confession of Christ. And I think in the context, he's even talking about public confession. Some of these Hebrew Christians were perhaps tempted to go back to the faith of their fathers, the kind of the Jewish faith, a visible faith with a temple. And when things are going wrong, it's, you know, it's easier to walk um, by sight than faith, isn't it? And when you've got like a big building there and a priesthood and everything, and you're like, oh, I can grasp this. I I can sort of relate to this. Sometimes it's returning to something that, you know, we get disillusioned and we default back to perhaps something that was our pre-Christian situation. Perhaps you used to be an atheist, which is just rubbish, isn't it? Atheism is rubbish. I was, I was in a, I was in a Wanstead earlier on today because um, Charlotte, like my daughter Charlotte, likes the play area in Wanstead, and she calls it the wobbly car play area because if you've ever been there, there's this sort of wobbly car. She never actually goes on it, but it's a way of identifying that particular play area. Only there was a fe- we got there and we couldn't park, so there was. Um, I don't know if anyone knows what was going on. It was a festival. I don't know what it was in aid of. Maybe it was like Wanstead's annual festival. I don't know what it was. But there were lots of things going on everywhere. And in the midst of this, there were lots of different tents and people representing different things and selling different things. And there was a humanist tent that was celebrating the fact that we have one life and that's it. And uh, I was just reading their stuff and it was just so depressing. And uh, my wife, Claire, couldn't help it. When we walked past it, she shouted, Jesus loves you at them. So... um, I like Claire, I like my wife, she's, she's quite, quite funny, quite fun. Um, so I was like, no, shut up. But, uh, but she was right, Jesus did love them. But, uh, but there's something just horribly, 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 horribly depressing and about atheism. And, and I even, there was a guy that was behind the, the counter and he just didn't look like he had a lot of joy in his life. It's just not a great, which these guys, they all look great, didn't they? What a great uh, uh, sign for the joy of the Christian faith. But when someone is just looking, it's just like, well... Not that into what you're selling there. And, um, but we have a hope, we have a faith in a God who is good. And when we hit rock bottom, he's the God who redeems our lives from the pit, who places our feet on solid rock, who gives us a hope, who lifts our head, who speaks hope and life and peace into our souls. And we need to remember when times are hard. We need to remember what we have believed and what he has done. 
you know, thinking back on my own life and just the mess that I was in when I became a Christian, that I was without hope. And, and I got myself into such a mess. I'm not going to, I haven't got time to kind of share with you like my, all my story. But, but I was such a mess when I became a Christian. Such a mess. And I was so blind. When I look back and I realize that Satan, who blinds the minds of unbelievers, had sort of blinded me. And I, I just so then sort of got open my eyes and I was like, wow. Wow, I was lost. Wow, I was, I was in dire straits. But, but God came through for me and picked me up and set me free. And, and I can't forget that. So no matter how bad it gets when things are hard, I can have the discipline, can't I, like we all can, of remembering what God has done, remembering the victories from the far past, remembering the faith that we have confessed, remembering how God has come through for us, remembering what he's done for us, remembering who he is. And we can help ourselves, can't we? You know, when we read about people in the Bible, you know, many of these people we read about through the scriptures didn't have the luxury of a, of a Bible in their hands, did they? But we, we've got, you know, access to God's word in, so conveniently, even on our phones, as we've already said. We can get into God's word, can't we? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so we can invest in that faith. So even when stuff is hard... You know, and, and we might not think that our experience in that moment is a solid ground. We, we have his word that is a solid ground, don't we? And we can go to his word. So hold fast our confession. No matter what is going wrong in life, God has already said that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart. He's a good dad. He loves you. He knows. Hold fast your confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Holding on can be hard, obviously, can't it? When we're in pain, it can be hard. Even wanting to do the right thing can be hard when we've lost hope or we're down or things are just, we don't even want to do the right thing. I don't want to pick up my Bible. I don't want to. Sometimes we have to pray for the grace to want to do the thing that we should want to do. I quoted this morning at St. Andrew's this um, prayer of Bernard of Clairvaux who, who, who prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, draw me, however unwilling to make me willing. Draw me slow-footed to make me run. I like that. Draw me, however unwilling to make me willing. Draw me slow-footed to make me run. And sometimes we just need to ask for even the, the desire to do the very thing that we know will be good for us. But sometimes we're, just, we're not in the mood and we, we can't face it. But God knows. God gets it. And this is what we find in these verses. They give us a reason as well as a means for holding fast our confession. The reason is that Jesus knows and that he sympathizes with us and that he's kind. We sang this morning at St. Andrew's that 10,000 reasons, your name is great and your heart is kind. Aren't you glad that God's got a kind heart? Isn't that just amazing to think that the God of heaven is kind and he speaks kindly to us and he loves us and Jesus sympathizes with us. And we see in these verses this picture, this concept of Jesus sympathizing with us through, through this image of him as the great high priest. Jesus fulfilled God's promise that he would send his people a great high priest who would be able to do perfectly and forever what the regular priesthood symbolized but could do only imperfectly and temporarily. The Jewish understanding was that the priest, especially the high priest, was there to be a kind of bridge between God and people, an intermediary. 
This amounted to uh, a liturgical role, so the priest offered sacrifices to God uh, on behalf of the people, but also a a pastoral role, I suppose. Uh, The priest looked after the people, sympathized with them, and was able to do that because he himself would have been weak. He himself knew that he was one of the people and screwed up just as royally as they did, if he was willing to admit it. And so he was able to sympathize with the people. So a high priest was a mediator between God and people. And these verses tell us then that Jesus is our great high priest. In the New Testament, there's no um, sacramental priesthood as such. There is such a thing as leadership, obviously. Um, and you could argue I'm doing myself out of a job here. But in the New Testament, you know, Jesus is our great high priest. You don't need to go through someone else to get to God. There is no mediator but Christ. He is he has fulfilled the sacrificial system. He's fulfilled the priesthood by being the great high priest, the one through whom we come. And he does that uniquely because he he brings together, doesn't he, deity and humanity. In verse 14 we saw that phrase, Jesus the Son of God, which effectively brings together then his humanity and his divinity. Jesus means saviour identifies his humanity and his ministry on earth, and Son of God obviously identifies his divinity, that he is God. And because of Jesus' continuing ministry as great high priest in heaven on our behalf, we have direct access to God, as we were thinking about when we had communion, that we have direct access to God, as well as access to his help, as we're going to get onto in a minute. And so we see in these verses that Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. He can understand our weakness. He gets it. And he gets it because he too has experienced the same temptations that we face. When you read about the temptations of Jesus in the desert with Satan, sometimes it's tempting to think, why didn't he just say, you know, Satan, don't you know I'm Jesus? You know, but <laughs> what do you do? I'm Jesus, by the way. But now he, made, he was fully human. And so this, was, this wasn't a phantom temptation. You know, he was being tempted. He became like one of us, and he went through real temptations. He can sympathize. He can feel for us, because in every every respect, he's been tempted as we are. And because he faced those temptations himself, he gets it, and we can come to him. He gets it. He gets what we're going through. He gets what makes us tick. He gets what we struggle with. He understands why. And in fact, it could be said that he understands the weight of our temptation more than we do. As one commentator pointed out, a strong person, a person who's strong enough to lift a heavy object, appreciates the object's weight more than someone who lacks the strength to hold it up. At some point, a weak person's power will run out, so they never fully bear the load. They drop it. By contrast, Jesus endured our temptations without failure and experienced their weight far beyond the point where we failed and given in. So he gets it even more than we have. When we've caved, he's continued to bear that weight of temptation. And a picture of of what he went through, which is such a powerful one, is in Gethsemane. When, of course, he prayed to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. When the weight of the world was on his shoulders. It's, It's... It's always hard to know when you're preaching what to share from your own life and what not to share and what to sort of... You find it working out the balance and what what you disclose and don't disclose. But uh, there was a time in my life um, as a Christian where 
I was going through stuff to the point that I, wasn't, I just wasn't sleeping at all. And for a couple of years, um, I would be going to bed at like five, six in the morning and getting up. And I, and I was asking God about it, saying, look, do I need to take time out from life? Do I need to take time out from ministry? This is, uh, during my time as a curate. And, uh, and I felt God was saying, no, because this is all about your season of growth and you need to overcome in this season. And I got this sense that God was saying that he wasn't just going to take away the problems but it was like, you know, like David with the bears and the lions. Once he's taken out the bears and the lions, God can raise him up to take out the Goliaths. And I felt God was saying, these are your bears and lions, and it's hard. But actually, unless you overcome here, you won't be able to step into what I'm calling you to in the long run. So I had, I had understanding even of the season, but it was very hard. I remember one time looking into the mirror at like five in the morning and just getting the sense that Jesus had looked into the mirror before I had that he'd stood there at five in the morning before I had. And even though it was hard for me, I was only feeling what it would be like to follow in Jesus' trail because he'd already gone through the harder pain barrier before I had. He'd stared at the place I was staring before I had got there. So when I arrived, he'd already made a way. He'd already made a way in that moment to come through. And perhaps you can see with eyes of faith the same in your life. You can see that whatever you've gone through so far, Jesus has stood in that place first. He's looked in the mirror before you. And even anything that's to come, not speaking anything horrible over anyone, but given that stuff happens, whatever, whatever you might face in the future, whatever hardship, Jesus has gone there before you. He's in Gethsemane. He's, I mean, in Gethsemane, it's an amazing passage, isn't it? And just to think that all that he went through on our behalf and more than that, he suffered in ways that are greater than any of us could ever experience on the cross, which is why we read in Hebrews 12, 3 to 4, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. So we need to not lose heart. We need to hold fast our confession and remember that Jesus sympathizes with it. He gets it. He gets it why it's hard. And he not only sympathizes with those who suffer the things he suffered, but I think it, it can also be said that he suffers when his children suffer. He is in heaven at the Father's right hand, you know, in unspeakable joy and glory. But I don't think that that means that he is detached from our suffering in the sense that he doesn't feel our pain. In Acts 9, 4, do you remember... Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He wasn't there to persecute, was he? Saul was persecuting Christians. But Jesus so identified with the Christians that he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And interestingly, Augustine said in relation to that, Augustine stated, it was the head in heaven crying out on behalf of the members who were still on earth. It was the head in heaven crying out on behalf of the members still on earth. Jesus gets our pain. He knows it. And he is not unmoved by it. He's not unmoved by the pain we feel. And Jesus can help us because although he experienced the same temptations we do, he did so without sin. He triumphed over the temptations that we experience. So he can help us in our temptations so we likewise can overcome. And no matter what 
temptations we experience, God will always give us a way to respond without violating his will. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Sometimes we need to partner with God, don't we, to avoid um, temptations. I know people have come to me over the years with problems and, and things that they've you know, confessed certain things. And uh, I, I, remember, um, I remember once watching this, this DVD, actually, um, by Adrian Plass, who gave an illustration of a person who was being tempted to have an affair. They were on a train, and they were going to work, and they got the same train uh, as another person, and they, they got chatting over time. They recognized they were on the same train. They got chatting. And, uh, and over a while, they you know, struck up a, a friendship and essentially started having something akin to an emotional affair. And, uh, and Adrian Plass said that this, the, the man in this situation uh, realized, because he was a Christian, that he needed to talk to someone about it. And he said he realized the best person to talk to was his best friend, who also happened to be his wife. And, uh, and he came clean about this to the wife. And the wife, quite soberly, just looked at him and said, change trains. And sometimes we need to change trains, don't we? I'm not saying that we're all struggling with the same kind of temptation. But whatever it is that we might be tempted by, that we know isn't what God wants, what's our equivalent of changing trains? You know, what is it that we can do, as it were, coupled with our prayer to God, lead us not into temptation? Because to pray, lead me not into temptation, then go and do something stupid straight away. We need to actually partner with God, don't we, to, to, to help to be a means in our own life of God's releasing of that grace to avoid temptation. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Having died, risen and ascended to heaven, Jesus is presently at the right hand of God the Father representing us there and interceding for us there. Romans 8:34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Wow. And when we do make mistakes, there, there is no cheap grace. There is no cheap grace. We know what Jesus did for us. But when we make mistakes... The scripture says, if we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God promises to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sometimes when we get in a trap of temptation, the enemy will just say, well, you're you're just so past it now. You're so lost. You may as well just camp out here. But that's a lie, isn't it? Because God wants us to come to him so that he can forgive us, so that he can wash us clean. Look at the psalm. David's amazing psalm after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he said, Lord, create me a clean heart. Create me a clean heart. We need to make that our prayer, don't we? And it might be, again, you know, that I'm just looking at one particular way in which we can be tempted. You know, perhaps an obvious one. But there are different ways that we can be tempted. We can be tempted to, to become cynical people. Again, we need to get into the word. We need to repent of where we become cynical where we're spending too much time watching TV, where the message of the TV is just 
horrible cynicism all the time. And we need to repent of that and say, Lord, I'm, I'm being tempted through what I'm imbibing. And actually, I need to come back on center, come back on your word. And let your joy fill my heart again. Because I don't want to sneer anymore. I want to smile. I want to be enthusiastic when people say good things about you. I don't want to sneer. And we need to come back to God, don't we? And just confess the things that we've done. And we can come before God's throne of grace. And we can be honest with God. We can even rail at God, although we have to remember that that he is a holy God and he's not actually done anything wrong. And if you are going to rail at him, don't then just do something else immediately afterwards. If we are going to bring our stuff to God, we at least owe it to him to kind of wait on his word afterwards, having actually been honest with God. Wherever that takes us, we have to remember that he's a good dad. He's an amazing dad. But he's also the Lord and he's never done anything wrong and he never will. So when we come to him with our stuff, Lord, where were you? Why? There's no point bottling all that stuff up because if we do, we'll just get ill anyway. We need to bring it to him because he's big enough. We say, don't we, we're big enough and ugly enough to do with stuff. God isn't, I'm not saying God's big and ugly, but he's big enough to hear it. But then having heard it, let's also humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'm just going to sit in this place with you. What do you have to say? And see what he says. We're to draw near to God in prayer and worship and to receive the help that we need when we need it and to draw near with confidence. For those who come to God through Jesus, we read that there is mercy and grace. As one commentator writes, mercy means that God does not give us what we deserve and grace means that he gives us what we do not deserve. Again, he's a good dad and he, he gives, us, gives us his mercy. He forgives us our sins, but he also gives us grace, doesn't he? As we've already said, grace to resist temptation, grace to keep going. I've had people come to me sometimes and just what they're going through is so hard. And, and sometimes I, my, well, I just go to Psalm 40 and I say, you have there a promise in Psalm 40 that when we cry out to him, he hears and he'll lift, lift us up and part our feet on solid rock. There have been times in my life where it's like white noise and all you can do is just shout Jesus. Sometimes we've just got to not worry about being embarrassed. You know, if you're in a difficult place, sometimes the best thing to do is just drop to your knees and shout, Jesus! As loudly as you can. And not worry, you know, if you're in a detached house, maybe that's easier. But um, when we cry out to him, he is not unmoved and he hears. Sometimes it might be a kind of a relief that we experience in a moment and then we hit the pain barrier down the road. But then we get to cry out again, don't we? (laughs) We get to cry out again then. And as we walk with God and become friends of God, we get to unpack things. Lynn's just had the, and and team have just had the, the healing prayer school. And we can allow God to bring healing in our hearts. So if some of the things that we struggle with are based on pains and, and need, need for, for, for healing of the heart, then do the healing prayer school. Receive prayer ministry. Ask God to help us over time as we, we, we clear away some of our rubbish and deal with some of this stuff. But sometimes just life happens, doesn't it? <laughs> life happens. And, and we, we can cry out to God. And he gets it. And he's with us. As Christians, we can run to Jesus, our sympathetic high priest, our great high priest at any time and in any circumstance and find the help we need.
we can, by his mercy and grace, hold fast our confession and persevere in spite of whatever circumstance we might face. He's good and he's overcome. And uh, just thinking back for my curiosity as well, just to put a spin on this that's, um, I don't know, uplifting in a sense. When I did my curacy in Salisbury, um, it was a really hard time for me. And, um, but I'd had this dream, again, I've already alluded to it, where, um, not the dream, but my, my understanding of my curacy. And uh, I, I saw this person in my dream who was a friend from school days, uh, and I got this sense that they represented like my generation and who God was calling me to reach out to and minister to. And, uh, and in my dream, uh, there were these people next to me holding swords, uh, and I went to them and, and took a sword, and it felt really weird. I didn't like it. It was like a, like a musketeer handle, one of those loopy handles. I didn't like it. And I said, like, oh, can I have another one? I said, no, this is your sword. I said, oh, all right, it's my sword. And so I start walking, and then suddenly someone attacks me. And literally in my dream, I hear God say, this is a God dream, by the way. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is one of those ones where I'm actually speaking. This isn't pizza. I, I'm speaking of cheese. That's the thing, is it? Oh, cheese, you've had too much cheese. It's like, they're, they're, concentrate. I'm speaking through this dream. And um, this person kind of attacked me, and it was a battle I didn't want to have. But eventually, I overcame this person. I was like, oh, back off. And I, I'd overcome them. And then I went to this person who I thought was a friend. But when I got to them, they drew a sword on me. Only I then took their sword apart really easily. It became like string. And somehow, through this battle that I didn't want to have, I learned to exercise spiritual authority and use the sword that had felt weird before. And I'd learned through the season to do it. And God said to me, this is your curacy. <laughs> it's a battle you don't want to have, uh, but you need to have it. And so in this season where um, all manner, I just battled with so many things all at once. It was horrendous. Uh, I even had like a witch who was living in our road who, um, uh, I don't know if she sort of, oh, I won't freak you out. I don't want to scare anyone. I don't want to scare anyone. Anyway, lots of spiritual warfare, temptation, loneliness, just everything. I was battling everything all at once. And, uh, and again, I, t- I talked about once looking into the, the window and uh, a mirror, sorry, and feeling Jesus had been there first. But another time, um, I just got this sense that what I was going through was for the sake of other people. Uh, do, you, do you know that Bethel song, for the sake of the world, put a fire in me? And it was the sense that actually what I'm going through isn't meaningless. It's preparation. It's preparation to be used of God so that he would be glorified and many would come. And if you read Psalm 40, in fact, let me just read it. If you read it, Psalm 40, just the first, I think, I think it's the first six verses. Um, sorry, if I thought I was going to read it, I'd have got it ready, obviously. The first, and I, and I say this just because of where we see where it ends up. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So where is this all going? (laughs) In this world, you will have trouble. And we're going to go through some stuff. And sometimes it's life. Sometimes it's just living in a fallen world. But sometimes, if, like Jesus, the Holy Spirit leads you into a battle, it's not because he's mean. It's because he loves you so much he wants to include you in the family business. He wants you to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. And if you remember that your great high priest sympathizes with you, 
that he's not unmoved by your struggle, that he's with you, and that it's tough, but he's with you, then you know his sympathetic heart towards you. But also, if you have that heavenly perspective, you know that where this is leading is somewhere glorious. It's leading to somewhere where you can call others. Where you, when you've battled shame, end up being the the shame remover from other people. Where you've been in dark places, you lift the dark veils off other people. Where you've been hidden in isolation, you coax out of the hidden, isolated places the people that are there so that they can come into the light as well. And your testimony becomes a means of grace in the life of other people. So whatever you're going through, take heart. Because Jesus knows, he's experienced it and more, and he sympathizes. But also take heart, because your life is not without meaning. God has work for us to do, and he wants us to get on board what what he's doing, so that we would see many put their trust in him. Let's stand, shall we? Let's stand and pray.